0: Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream, and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. Today we're talking with Andrew Alexander, a former Washington Post ombudsman, a former Washington bureau chief for Cox newspapers, and an award-winning journalist in his own right. His media career has spanned more than four decades. During his career, he has reported from more than 50 countries, and he's directed news coverage both domestically and internationally. He's a member of the board of the American Society of News Editors and has led its Freedom of Information Committee. Andy also serves on the New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists. This group Assists journalists who have been subjected to attacks, arrests, and harassment worldwide. Today, Andy talks with us about the media and President elect Donald Trump. Will mainstream media coverage of the new president be redefined with a president who is a master of his own social media and his own media handling? A lot of people are comparing. Donald Trump's uh, view of media and his uh, way of dealing with media with uh, Richard Nixon, those of us who remember those days. Do you think there's any comparison?
1: I do think there's some, but I think there are some significant differences. So let's let's go back and speak even more broadly than Nixon. There's always... There's always been an adversarial relationship between the press and public officials, and that's as it should be. That's what the founders really envisioned. Um, and we've gone through lots of periods uh, when there have been threats to punish the press. So you mentioned Nixon, and uh, uh, you and I are old enough to remember that vividly, I, right. I, and uh uh, I mean, let, let's start with Spiro Agnew, who openly attacked the news media. And you may recall that he suggested the, the, there should be regulation of TV news because it's what he called a virtual monopoly. Absolutely. And, uh, and Nixon uh, should have the right to have his speeches aired without. I remember the, I remember the phrase "hostile critics" and all that. Right. And also, we know that Nixon uh, threatened broadcast licenses uh, if, if uh, the coverage became too critical. But here are the differences I see. We're in a new era in several respects. Number one, um, presidents and other public figures can now bypass traditional mainstream media, and they can communicate their message unfiltered. And as Donald Trump has shown uh, with Twitter, he can develop a huge audience uh, and, and go directly to them without having to go through uh, the established media when there was little media or limited media back in the Nixon era. So that's one. About there's,
0: 15 million Twitter followers, I, I, I believe. Is that what yeah.
1: Trump has? Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's a sizable audience. That is a huge audience. Um, and, and, of course, they're motivated, most of them, to, to follow him or yeah. probably to believe in him. A second thing that sort of goes along with that, with the, uh, this uh, contrast to the bygone era, is there's just simply more media. And much of it is designed to reinforce an ideology or a worldview, and and I'm saying that on both sides. So people gravitate to Breitbart News or Drudge on the right or Daily Kos or Huffington Post on the left, and they get their news through that prism. So there's a lot more media, and and it is reinforcing. third thing I think is, um, and this is a term that's just popped up in the last couple of weeks, we're in a, quote, post-truth period where (laughs) many of these people who are public officials led by Trump are not particularly interested in in objective facts. Uh, Their facts tend to be whatever reinforces their viewpoint, regardless of whether it's true. And even fact checking seems to have no effect on them. And I think we saw that in the presidential campaign. So, I mean, if you just look back in in the last week, Trump uh... tweeted uh... that if that he actually won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally there's absolutely zero evidence to support that and um uh... in the new york times i was struck by the next day reporting it in their lead headline basically saying uh... that he put out a baseless claim but the fact is he doubled down on it and with with trump i think it is different than in the past he is willing to do this I think perhaps sometimes knowing that it's not true or not based in fact, but to be provocative. So, you know, examples of when he uh, when he tweeted that climate change was created by the Chinese or that autism is is caused by inoculations of children. Those are all pretty big uh, uh, statements that have no basis of fact. And I think uh, going along with this post-truth thing is a lot of his aides um, really think that's fine. So Corey Lewandowski, his former campaign manager who was unwisely i think hired by cnn he was at harvard last week uh blaming the media for taking trump literally when he would say provocative things and you know my reaction when i heard that was really uh the man who's going to be president says things and you blame us for actually believing that what he said was real but that's um Uh, That's not his view. And then the final thing I think is, uh, and this was, I think, an issue in the campaign, the increase in fake news uh, spread through social media. Um, I think it's a real problem. It's one that, frankly, even though I, like you, follow this pretty closely, I was not uh, sufficiently attuned to how severe it was until the latter stages of the campaign. But uh, these things have real consequences, especially when 44% of Americans say they rely on Facebook for, as a news source, that's, uh, there's a lot of false news that can be spread very quickly. We also know from studies that people tend not to read stories before sending them on to their friends. So basically, it's the headlines that get sort of become part of the narrative. So bottom line, um, what's not different is we are dealing, like Nixon, with a thin-skinned president um, I think what is different, in my mind, is uh, we have a real press press baiter who is now going to be in the White House, and I think um, very tenuous grasp of the First Amendment. So there are differences.
0: So the echo chamber effect that, that we have now, uh, is that different than it was in the past, the fact that most people only... Listen or read news that supports their own worldview.
1: I think it's an issue. Although uh, there have been studies, particularly dealing with young people, that say yes, they tend to read what their friends refer to them. But some of these studies have also said that uh, that in that mix of stories being referred, they are also very likely to get a friend who says, "Aha, yes, but." Did you read this? And it's offering something with, with a counter view. I think, however, on balance, the echo chamber is an issue. And, and again, if you harken back to the bygone era, uh, you you had limited media, but it, it was basically uh, media that was trying to present both relevant sides. Now, I'm I'm not in saying this. I am not arguing that it's a bad thing. That we have more media. I think that's what's marvelous about uh, free press, that we have more press. But it is an issue, and people tend to, uh, to want to reinforce their views. And then those views are reinforced, and there is um, a lot of modern-day reporting uh, on those sites tends to be inflammatory and evoking people to, uh, uh, to take action. And so I think that, uh, that is a difference, too.
0: Q Research came out with a study post-election uh, saying that only 22% gave uh, the media an A or B grade on how they covered the election. 38% gave the media a failing grade. So the end result was uh, the press got a D plus. Uh, if you look at a A, a to F grading scale, uh, do you think that's justified?
1: I think part of it's justified. Uh, let's first look at a lot of these surveys, and Pew is among the best at doing these. But when you when you dig down into a lot of these surveys on people's view of the media, they have a very low opinion when you talk about the media. But then when you say of the news source that you rely on most how would you rate them it tends to be much higher now of course sometimes if we get back into the echo chamber thing they're giving higher marks to a news organization that is promoting their own ideology or their worldview so you have to look at it that way but i dismiss the charge that many have put out there that the media created trump I, i don't think that's true i do think there are about four or five things that the media did uh that they shouldn't be proud of um one is i think early on way too willing to let trump phone into morning shows in his pajamas from trump tower right and uh, and and make news why because he drove ratings i mean it it reminded me a little bit of a couple years ago when the actor charlie sheen was completely out of control and everybody knew he was on the brink and people were even warning you know don't don't feed this egomaniac who's obviously having some personal issues but it was so good to, uh, to ratings that it was like catnip for for, uh, uh, for the networks. They couldn't stop it. But in this case, very unfair to other candidates. Now, would he have not gotten the nomination if they played uh, straight and narrow on that? I don't know. I suspect he probably still would have because he was so outlandish. But I thought it was unfair. Second, uh, you mentioned an echo chamber. Um, I would say a minus for the press was... Uh, political reporters got caught up in their own echo chambers chamber. And that is, they talked to other traditional political operatives and pollsters and consultants who, like them, were also missing the bigger story. So we weren't out there really finding out what was going on. Third thing is, um, and I don't think this in any way should be minimized, uh, the huge price we have paid in the hollowing out of media, in the middle of America, this would be true in places like Ohio or, or Iowa, where you just have fewer reporters, at news organizations like the Columbus Dispatch or the Des Moines Register. And, and as good and dedicated as they are, they just don't have the repertorial horses they used to. And for people who don't understand the impact of that, it's important to note that newspapers still set a tremendous percentage of the reporting agenda. Uh, not television. Television is all over the place. More people get their news from television. But setting the agenda through watchdog reporting or in-depth analysis or whatever, still, by and large, uh, at the metro level, local level, comes from newspapers. So assuming that's true, uh, here's some statistics that should give people pause. 1990, when uh, the population of the United States was about 250 million, we had close to 57 thousand newspaper journalists. 2016, when the population is now, what are we, about 325 million in right. the nation, we have 28,000 working. So almost half of what we had in 1990 in terms of repertorial power. So that's a third thing. Two other things, I think. One is uh, we were slow on the uptake of fake news. You know, some of these headlines were just unbelievable uh, The one that a lot of people have cited uh, was the one that came two days before the election, the one that said the Pope shocks the world and endorses Donald Trump, total fabrication, yet it got uh, 370,000 Facebook shares. Um, And then another one is uh, a criticism I would have is excessive focus on polls. Not that polls aren't valuable, but an excessive focus on who was ahead as opposed to interpreting why someone was ahead. So that, in my mind, uh, when we look back, we had a lot of information about voters and, and why Trump had this staying power, but we were not interpreting that. We wasn't leading us to go out and really understand it. And I don't know about you, but every time I thought he was down and out, by gosh, he came back. Mm-hmm. You know, He came back in the polls. So that, that should have told us. And I think going along with that, we portrayed a lot of the media portrayed Trump supporters as sort of being ignorant or stupid or out of touch. Uh, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But um, ironically, in this case, I think it was the press that was probably out of touch. And, so,
0: and the reliance on, on the polls, it, it seemed to be almost incestuous between the pollsters and media.
1: Yes, and this, I would say, it falls also into the, uh, the little journalistic echo chamber. And again, uh, you know... Um, it seems particularly, and it's, it's gotten worse over the years, but with this election particularly, the standards for what constitutes an actual scientific poll seem to have been thrown out the window. I'm not suggesting there weren't scientific polls. I mean, the the, the real good pollsters put a lot of value on this. But there are so many bogus polls uh, that are sort of snap polls on uh Who would you? Who do you think would have the best wife in the uh, in the White House? I mean, stuff like that's just silly. Um, Again, it's like catnip. You know, we we sort of gravitate toward it. Um, The the counter view on all this, Tom, I think is, um, and I share a lot of this view. I I think you could argue that for all the deficiencies in the press, that in many ways it did a good job of exposing Trump, and. But in the end, voters decided that didn't matter. And and here's a really telling statistic. Exit polls on Election Day showed that 60 percent of viewers or voters had an unfavorable view of Donald Trump. And uh, that really means that they were getting a lot of negative information. But in the end, they were kind of saying, yeah, we see that uh, and we we think that integrity and honesty matters. But um there's something else that's more valuable to us and so we're voting we're voting for him and in there there was an awful lot of good reporting i mean david told stories in the washington post exposing trump's lies about his charitable giving i thought were just uh, terrific and there was a lot of that so you know there was some good reporting in there
0: how about the the concept andy though of uh, trump going directly to his constituency, and we've talked about this, it, it's not just politicians, it's uh, celebrities, it's athletes, it's uh, corporations, people going directly to their constituency, but, but he seemed uh, a master of it. And not only in the sense of being able to communicate with a large number of people directly, but in setting the news agenda, and that's what I'm most concerned with right now, uh, he says something, and we get a 36-hour news cycle uh, about what outrageous thing he said.
1: Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's first establish, uh, give credit where credit is due. He's a master at that, uh, and he's spent a lifetime doing it. Um, he's a master of timing on it also. Uh, I think going forward, one of the things in terms of how he is covered is there's going to have to be a lot of discipline in the press as to um, giving proper weight to some of these uh, crazy tweets that he comes out with. you know he he can't stop himself from tweeting, <laughs> and and no. a lot of it is just blatantly inaccurate. The question, and, and I'm not saying that that it should not be reported it, it all, should be reported. He's he's the most powerful man in the in the planet right now, but I think the question will be how much do we dwell on it, how long do we dwell on it, um, how important is it in the scheme of things? Um, that's that's where we're we're going to have to have some real discipline because it's easy, and he and he wants us in many cases, to take the bait. And he wants to to make the media the foil. And uh, we have to resist that. We have to apply our own standards of news to it.
0: We'll be back after this message. At the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University, students and faculty aren't just ready for change. They're hungry for it. The Scripps College of Communication was awarded $878,000 by Ohio University for an immersive media initiative that will allow students to become skilled leaders in immersive media, especially virtual and augmented reality. The college's Game Research and Immersive Design Lab will serve as the hub for the initiative and provide several million dollars worth of equipment, processes, intellectual property, and award-winning scholars and partnerships for the project. Learn more at ohio.edu Scripps College. Covering this president, and you've been the head of a news bureau in Washington and, and covered presidents uh, for, for a long time. Is it going to be redefined the way the media covers this president? Is it by necessity going to be redefined or can it be same old, same old?
1: I don't think it will be the same old, same old. Uh, I think it will be defined. I, I anticipate. There will be uh, some epic struggles ahead over things like uh, access, uh, things like that. You know, I, I've thought a lot about this. I don't run a Washington bureau anymore. If I did, uh, what I would be, what I hope I would be telling my troops would be what Marty Baron of the Washington Post said recently, just do our jobs. And, and to that, I would add, do it better, do it more aggressively, do it more in a more fair manner, do it more accurately, and right now I would also say do it more fearlessly than you've done it ever before. You know, there there are some people out there who hate the press, and I'm not sure they understand uh, what what the press is or what they do, but they hate them. And, um, you know, we have to stand up to that. A second thing that goes along with that, I think, is, and I felt this even before Trump, we need to do a much better job of explaining how we do our job and why and engaging with our audiences and i would go so far as to say and i believe this i i would say i am proud to be part of the mainstream media i'm proud to be part of a a journalism uh, genre that basically says we are trying to impartially um tell you what we think is the closest we can get to truth uh, giving you all the relevant facts, we are decidedly not cheerleaders for one side or the other. The, going along with this, there's, I think what we know is that there is a great confusion about what media is or are. There's confusion right. about the difference between news and opinion. And why wouldn't there be? I mean, when, when CNN hires Corey Lewandowski as an analyst, and he's still being paid technically by the, the Trump, the Trump campaign. campaign, right. And he's sitting there amongst straight news reporters trying to explain the campaign. I, I can certainly understand now the public would be confused by that for the same reason that I sometimes, you know, I used to watch Al Sharpton's 4 p.m. show on MSNBC and he hands it off to the next straight news program with no differentiation between him, you know, who he has his own ideology, right. and the people who are about to take over and play it straight down the middle. So why wouldn't they be confused by that? So you know, the, I think we just have to do our jobs, do it better than ever.
0: Access is always the uh, big uh, axe that that people swing at the media. It's done in athletics. It, it's done uh, all across the board. Uh, Certainly, we hear threats about access with this president. Do you think it'll be different? And if it is, how important is access in covering a president?
1: Uh, The first part of your, the first answer, I think, is yes, it will be a big issue. Uh, It's already starting to be a big issue. And it started over these, uh, um, whether or not to continue what are called protective pools for, for people who are not familiar with how the media operate, uh, you have a tremendous number of people trying to cover a president. Uh, and obviously you can't have uh, 500 reporters tracking around behind him wherever he goes. Um, so there are pools, which means there are certain representatives of the media like the wire services or the networks who form a small group of maybe sometimes only four or five people who are with the president whenever he goes outside of the White House. So recently uh, the president went to, um, to dinner in New York and didn't tell anyone in the media. He just went out and just happened there was another reporter who was at the same restaurant who detected him. Well, there's a reason for this. And the reason is, first of all, uh, telling the public where the president is, who he's meeting with, uh, what he's saying, to the extent you can discern that, um, he's our president. And not to be sort of morbid about it, but you you want someone there to record a history of something untoward happens, too. So it's, um, it's an important thing. I think what we can expect is, um, going along with that more broadly, just excessive secrecy. Now, you know, Obama came into office promising his administration would be the most open ever and, and I, that I didn't most happen. people it did not <laughs> happen no and and there were some good efforts there i must say and there was one thing that uh, uh... actually congress did uh... in recent months where they sort of codified the presumption that public information belongs to citizens unless the government can make an argument that it should be restricted that's very different than during the bush years when it was flipped and the expectation was any citizen. Hey, if you want information from your government, you've got to convince the government that you should give it up. Well, that's a good thing. But I think with that behind us now, I think when it comes to Trump, there will be no predisposition for openness. I think it will filter down through all levels of the government, all agencies. And it'll be hard for the press, but more importantly, hard for citizens to get uh, uh, information. And then the final thing is uh, going forward, I think um, you know, this is a president that, uh, president-elect president that has shown he, he just has little sensitivity to truth. I mean, he ex- we can expect tweets, I think, that are just blatant falsehoods and that they are designed to embolden this, his base. So, um, you know, is it the end of the world? No. Uh, everyone's going to survive this. But uh, it's not going, in my opinion, it's not going to be – it's not just that it's not good for the press. It's not good for citizens.
0: It, if you were, again, directing uh, reporters and you've given some general statements of how you would have them do it, but how important is it to maybe drill down a little bit and not concentrate so much on the White House but concentrate on the cabinet members or, or the various agencies or departments of government and, and really do an in-depth job of covering them?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you raised that. Time, Tom. I think that is critically important, specifically with this administration. And here's why. And this this gets into my own interpretation that may be off base, but what fascinates me about this presidency is that um, we elected a president who has known no known consistent ideology. He is working with a Congress and a leader. Paul Ryan, who does have an ideology. My prediction is that uh, Congress will make certain progress in Republican terms on certain things, and that Donald Trump will claim victory, that he's fulfilled campaign promises, even though it may not relate to anything he did. Now, I'm mentioning that because I think there is a very good possibility that at the cabinet level, with uh, individual cabinets, Cabinet members, many of them who are not tested, um, that you're you're going to have a lack of expertise. Uh, you're going to have sort of uh, people going rogue on their own with no clear direction from the White House on on what policy should be or consistency of policy uh, policy. So um, that uh, that gets down to resources, and I would hope that Washington media um, that they put a lot of emphasis on, on that, on the bureaucracy, because it's going to be critically important. I think another thing, just starting right off, is how many good, qualified people, um, political appointees or not, at the, at the mid-levels in agencies, how many are going to stay with this president? I, I know, mm-hmm. just from personal experience, talking to some younger people, they are struggling. They don't want to be tied to a presidency that they think has the potential to be erratic and not focused. On the other hand, um, and this is something the public often doesn't appreciate. These are people that chose government service, and they are very, very um, public service-oriented. They're good citizens. They're patriotic uh, people in the government. And they feel, on the other hand, this obligation to stay there and try to make it work as best they can. So the question is, how many of them will just say, I don't want to be part of that? And then you get in people who are new and maybe uh, do not have the level of experience that you would want.
0: You teach ethics and were the ombudsman at the Washington Post uh, and had ethical concerns that you looked at all the time. Do you see covering this president and this presidency presenting particular ethical challenges for media?
1: Do you have any suggestions in what areas that might be? No,
0: I, I'm I'm just wondering if uh, sometimes when you're covering someone that uh, may not speak the truth, uh, uh, you you may cut a little corner to to expose that person. You may uh, yeah. uh, go out of your way and do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Uh, thinking that you have the the right to do that to to bring about justice and, and I'm just wondering if that might translate uh, to, to media or whether there is any ethical concerns about uh, redefining a way that you'd cover this president
1: yeah I I think it's an issue uh, again if I were... Um if I had my ombudsman cap on at, at the Washington Post again, I would be looking, first of all, uh, at whether they are being fair. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in the media uh, who got this wrong, and although I wasn't running a newsroom, I would have gotten it wrong. I've, I've often told people it's, it's good in this last election. I was not running political coverage because I would have gotten everything wrong, and the public would not have been very well served by my decisions for coverage. So um, having gotten it wrong... I think the uh, you you have to give them uh, the opportunity. Um, But having said that, uh, I think the ethical concerns that I would be most concerned about are: uh, Are you being independent as journalists? There's going to be a lot of pressure on journalists to, uh, uh, you know, a lot of pressure from Trump supporters, from Republicans who say, "Come on, get in line. This was the will of the people." The the key to the survival of quality journalism is good, aggressive, fair, honest, independent journalism so that we are not swayed one way or the other. So that's the big ethical concern I would have.
0: Christiana Amanpour just got an award from a committee to protect journalists. I know you're involved in that group. Uh, She just recently did an interview with Scott Simon saying that she's very concerned about uh, First Amendment and First Amendment issues with this presidency. Uh, First, how concerned are you? And this seems to be something that may not be a frontal attack on the First Amendment, although it may be, but little erosions along the way concern me. Should I be?
1: Uh, you should be concerned. And I was I was there a couple Tuesdays ago uh, in New York at our annual um, dinner for the Committee to Protect Journalists, which I've been involved in for a long time, and I saw Christiane's speech, which was very stirring. Um, she was making a lot of points, uh, and um, the one that resonates with me most, because I've been very involved with this group who – this group has been in, around for more than 30 years now, and the, the goal of the Committee to Protect Journalists – is to um, protect uh, journalists mainly in foreign repressive regimes that are subjected to jailing or killings or uh, killings without, with impunity um, simply because they were trying to get to the truth. So as it relates to Donald Trump, uh, his press baiting, his comments uh, attacking uh, journalists, I think um, help embolden repressive regimes. And just on a personal level, I mean, in the last couple of years, um, in addition to having reported for more than 50 countries when I was a reporter, I've done lectures across Russia and seen the total control of the media by Vladimir Putin, who, by the way, has been accused of secretly ordering the execution of journalists that he didn't like. I've met as part of a delegation with the Committee to Protect Journalists with uh, President Erdogan of Turkey. This is a man who has jailed scores of journalists for even mild criticism of his policies. He has temporarily banned Twitter, Facebook. He's taken control or shut down news outlets uh, that did uh, probing journalism. So when Donald Trump attacks the media in the U.S., And talks about weakening our laws and protecting free uh, that protect free speech, and he praises Putin. He's basically emboldening emboldening an authoritarian leader and others who feel that way, who want to clamp down on the press. It it scares the hell out of struggling journalists around the world to think that they may not be able to rely on the leadership of the United States to be a beacon for for free press and. And I worry about that. I worry about uh, little ways that the libel laws uh, could be damaged. Um, Let's face it, we have operated for a half century under libel laws that define a very tough standard for successfully suing journalists who write critically about you. And those safeguards are here to encourage tough watchdog reporting, which, by the way, most surveys show – readers and audience members say they want. So uh, anything that uh, that uh, causes a problem that way uh, is serious. And I would also add, you know, I, I worry, and I'm reluctant to even talk about this, but um, I worry that people who listen to Donald Trump will take him literally and then physically go after the press. They, you know, l- let's keep in mind that it <laughs> reporters are pretty pretty tough people. And they can take a lot of criticism and just roll with it. But in this campaign, I think uh, many people do not realize that major news organizations put their campaign reporting staffs through what we what is known as hostile environment training. Uh, that is training that news organizations typically reserve for journalists going into war zones. And their concern was the increasing taunting by crowds at campaign rallies that it might get out of hand. And uh, just last week, Kathleen Carroll, the executive editor of the AP, revealed that they had to pull a reporter off the campaign trail because of what she described as a personal or a dangerous situation. She didn't specify it, but we have to assume that they were targeted uh, in some way, in a a real physical way. So, you know, it's a problem. We think it couldn't happen, but uh, let's go back to Nixon again. Remember, when Nixon said to someone in the White House he, he was angry at columnist Jack Anderson who had, and Nixon allegedly said we need to get rid of this guy Anderson and so two members of his plumbers unit, Gordon Liddy and Howard Hunt, came up with a plan to assassinate right. Anderson. And right. they were gonna do that on the streets of Washington until somebody else found out they were about to do it and said, No, what are you doing? You can't do that, you know. Well, you know, you worry about people taking it too literally.
0: Well, let's talk again in about six months, Andy, and see where we are and see I, if...
1: I, I, uh, I'm an so, optimist.
0: <laughs> you are an optimist? You you actually think that things might uh, get better, huh?
1: I don't think they're going to get better. I, I think in my mind, it's a question of uh, limiting how bad it could get. Um, right. You know, you, you hope that when people are elected that um, that they assume a different persona uh... that they turn a new page um, With this president-elect uh... you know everyone wishes the president well but i think there's nothing in his conduct so far that would lead me to believe that he, there will be an abrupt change as it relates to the press so i would say rocky road ahead and i would say to the press uh... they need to do their job and i would also say to the public They have a role, too, and that role is to support media that is good and honest, support them financially. Um, I think, personally, people should speak out when the press is being uh, threatened. They should uh, be willing to talk to their neighbors and colleagues when they think it's gone too far. And then a final thing I think we can all do is look at the younger generation. I'm talking about people in secondary schools and pay particular attention to news literacy whether we should have programs that teach news literacy so that young people understand the importance of all five freedoms of the First Amendment and also what is real and what is fake news. I think that's a major problem that holds the potential to be really damaging to democracy.
0: Andy, as always, thank you for your time and thank you for your comments. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Good. Thank you, Tom.
0: Today, we've talked with Andy Alexander, about expected media coverage of our new president and will it be redefined? This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at iTunes Podcast, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through iTunes. If you have questions or comments about our podcasts, please direct them to me by email at hodson at Ohio dot edu. That's hodson, H O D S O N, at ohio.edu.